As we open our Bibles, if you would turn to John chapter 12, and we're going to be looking mainly at John chapter 12, verses 46 through 50 today. We'll be looking at a number of scriptures, but if you don't have a Bible, then you can get one of the black Bibles that's on the end of each pew, and in that Bible it's on page 899, the very end of that page, on to page 900 just a little bit as well. Um, We're going to be talking this week, uh, I guess I could just say this week at this point, today and Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas morning. Uh, we'll be looking at some of the statements that Jesus makes in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, during his earthly ministry about why it is that he's come. And so that's what we are celebrating at Christmas time. That's what uh, is, is going on in our culture that our culture doesn't realize is that there is a celebration of the coming of God in the flesh to save us. That's why we, we take advantage of this Christmas season is because there are people who are may or may not even realize that there 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 is a different mindset uh, as as there is a reflection around them on the coming of Christ into the world. But why did it happen? Well, there's a lot of statements in the Old Testament about why Jesus was going to come. There's a lot of statements across the New Testament about why Jesus came, and there are statements uh, in Jesus's own. Uh, voice in his earthly ministry about why it is that he came. And so those are statements that we're going to look at. We can't, in three sermons, cover every statement that Jesus made about why he came, but we'll look in particular at uh, at three areas of that. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't even know why I go to a place. I walk into a room, I walked into our dining room a couple of days ago, and I stood there and I said, I don't know why I'm here. And then I I briefly thought to myself, does that mean I'm getting old? And then I remembered, no, I started doing this when I was a toddler. This is just a regular part of my life, is that I walk somewhere and I say, why am I here? I don't know. Jesus knew exactly why he was here. Jesus knew exactly why he had come. With that in mind, let's read uh, John 12 verse 46, and on to the end of the chapter. He says, I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So we're going to look at these sayings of Jesus about why he's come in roughly three categories. We're going to look at Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. And just about everything that Jesus did in redeeming us, you could put into one of those categories of that he is the prophet who has come to bring us the truth. He is the priest who's come to make full atonement for our sins. And he is the king who will reign eternally and has come first to reign in each of our hearts through faith and by the presence of his spirit. So that's where we are. And and so today is why Jesus came, part one, to preach as a prophet. 
And I do encourage you even more than usual today to use the back of your bulletin and the outline that's there, uh, because even though John 12, 46 through 50 is our main text today, we're going to be going to a number of other texts also where Jesus speaks of these statements, I have come, and these statements I have come in particular for the purpose of bringing the word and for preaching the truth as our great prophet. But let's reflect, first of all, on these words that start out, verse 46 in John 12, I have come into the world. Let's just think about that fact. Jesus said, I have come into the world. Now, that's not really something that the rest of us could say, at least not in the way that Jesus said it. Maybe you could say, yes, I came into the world, by which you mean I came into existence, I was born in some sense, but the way that Jesus is talking about this, the way that he brings this subject up, is that he himself had a purpose for why he came. Now, you and I, we may wonder what our purpose is. We may say to ourselves, well, why was I born? By which we mean, why do I exist? Why did I go from not existing to existing? But when Jesus says, I have come into the world for this purpose, or this is the reason I've come. Jesus isn't saying, I'm trying to figure out why I'm here. I just came, I came into being, and boy, I must have some purpose. He's getting across that he existed beforehand, that he himself made the decision that he would come, and that he had a purpose for doing that. And so the first thing that we see in the fact that Jesus has all of these statements throughout the four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first thing that we see is that Jesus was pre-existent. And so when, when Jesus came and was born, when he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, grew for those nine months in his mother's womb, was born in that stable, was laid in that manger, that wasn't the beginning of our Lord. That wasn't the beginning of Christ. Jesus is the pre-existent eternal Son of God. You see this in places like the very beginning of the book of John that we're in. John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. Sometimes that confuses people because, say, was the Word, what's that talking about? Later in the chapter, he makes it clear that when he says the Word, he's talking about Jesus. But he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a a pretty straightforward statement. By the way, if you ever have Jehovah's Witnesses come to your house, they'll show you their translation of that passage, where they'll say, well, my Bible doesn't say the word was God. My Bible says the word was a God. Well, that's not what it says. Okay, But even if it were what it says, it says in verse 3, All things were made through him, without him was not anything made that was made. Was Jesus a created being or not? Well, that says he was not a created being. There's nothing that was created, nothing that was made apart from his making it. This is the creator God, and we call him God the Son, or the Son of God. It goes on in John 8, 56, as Jesus is speaking to some of the Jewish leaders, It says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? 
They're saying, you are not pre-existent. You didn't exist until just a, a few decades ago. That's the, the charge that they're bringing against Jesus. But Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is claiming right there that he was pre-existent. But not just that he was pre-existent, but that he's God, the great I am of the Old Testament. So they picked up stones to throw at him, it says. Now, I've just got to say, if you, if you said the kinds of things that Jesus said here, uh, or if I were to say the kinds of things that Jesus is saying here, if I were to stand up to, and, and, and start preaching the message about myself of, I have come into the world as a light, and before Abraham was, I am, well, I mean, that would be the point when you look in the church constitution and say, how do we bring church discipline against our pastor? And you would be right to do that because I am not pre-existent. I am not before Abraham was. I am not any of those things. All of these things are only true about Christ. You can also kind of understand in those things why it is that when he said them that they said, it's time for us to stone this guy to death. But he was claiming that he had come because he came from somewhere. And that somewhere is from being God from eternity past and from sitting on the throne of heaven that he himself created and coming into the world to save sinners, but in particular, he says, coming to be a light. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. He says in John 17, verse 5, this is as, as Jesus is praying, the Son of God praying to God the Father on the night before he went to the cross. One of the things that he prayed was, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you, or excuse me, the, the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, Jesus was glorified as God. Our eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, was perfectly joyful and content and glorious in himself and decided to make the world and to make us. It's amazing to think about that. You think about Jesus being God from eternity past. Well, he was also God all the way through the Old Testament. Jude verse 5 actually tells us that it is Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt and afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jesus came into the world even after being the great I Am who brought the people out of the land of Egypt. That's who Jesus is, who Jesus says that he is, and that's our hope and our life and our salvation to know that this Christ is preexistent, and not just preexistent, but God. He is divine. This is another thing that we see when he says, I have come into the world, not just his preexistence, but his deity. It says in, in John 5.18 that this is the reason that they wanted to kill him. Some people will claim to you that Jesus never said he was God. A good question to ask someone who says that is, then why did they kill him? People usually don't have a good answer for that. A lot of people haven't even ever thought through that. Why is it that they killed him? Well, because he was a really nice guy. Uh, that's, that's not really why that happens. But the Bible says it pretty explicitly in a number of places. This is why they killed him. 
is because he was claiming to be God. It says in John 5.18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. The last part of that verse, it's because he was making himself equal with God. In John 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him, it says. And Jesus answered, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For for which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Now i got to say, if he were not God, it would be blasphemy. But he is. He is. He is the eternal, pre-existent God the Son. In fact, when Jesus goes to, to trial... When, when they declare that he deserves death at his trial, here's the occasion of it. Matthew 26, verse 63. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to them, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's not something a mere man can say about himself. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Well, he certainly claimed to be God. And after they did kill him, after they thought that they were proving that he was not God, that he was not the Messiah even, by killing him on the cross, he proved that he was by rising from the dead. On the day that he rose from the dead... He conducted the first Sunday church service. He got together with his disciples that evening, came together with them, showed them himself, and and they worshipped him. There was one disciple who wasn't there at that first church service. His name was Thomas. The next Sunday, he was there. And Jesus came back, and they had church again that next Lord's Day. And when Thomas, after all of his doubting, finally saw Jesus, do you know what Thomas said to Jesus? He said, my Lord and my God. Jesus didn't do what the angels do. Every time in the Bible, somebody tries to to bow down and worship the angels. The angels always say, I am a creature like you. Do not worship me. Worship God. They say something along those lines. You know what Jesus does? He blesses him. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Uh, That's the, the statement, my Lord and my God. Peter, Paul, and others in the Bible call him our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So just wrap your mind around that, or try to wrap your mind around that. You could spend your whole life wrapping your mind around that. We're going to spend all of our eternities rejoicing in this, that Jesus is our eternal God who has come for us, who has come to save us. Let's think about what it is that he did when he came He didn't stop being God. He kept all of his godness. Uh, This is what God is. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's the short answer to who God is in the catechism. There's a lot more you can say about God's attributes than just that. Jesus didn't give up an ounce of any of that. But what he did do is he laid aside his glory by taking on human flesh. He didn't lay aside any of his divine attributes, none of his divine essence, but what he did do, 
He didn't, he didn't give up any of, uh, of those even a little bit, but he did take on the lowliness of humanity. That's, that's what we see in Jesus' coming when he says, I have come into the world. When we think about the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, came as a little child for us so that he could then die on the cross as our Savior. He, God, he being the eternal God, became man, took on flesh for us. Here's the way that it's put in the Nicene Creed, which is a fantastic resource. All Christians ought to agree on it. It says that Jesus, for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost and of the Virgin Mary and was made man. That's expressing what it says in, in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or in Philippians 2.6, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped meaning he didn't count his godness as a thing to be taken advantage of so as not to save us lowly sinners. What he did is he made himself nothing. Well, did he make himself nothing by putting away his godness? No, he did it by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was humbled not by subtraction, but by addition, by taking on humanity so that he could come and save us. I'll just read you one more thing about that in Galatians 4.4, 4, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All of that is built into that little statement, I have come into the world. And all of this, as we spend tonight, or just, I guess I should say this morning and then the evening of uh, of Christmas Eve, and then next Lord's Day morning as well, thinking about these statements where Jesus says, I have come. That's what's built into this, that Jesus is the pre-existent God who has taken on flesh and come into the world to be our Savior. So what does it say, though, that he has done? Why here does it say that he has come into the world? This is point two in, in your bulletin as you're following along. It says in verse 46, I have come into the world as a light, as a light. It says that the way that he is, is going to bring this light into the world is through his words. That's what we see as we keep going in this passage. It says, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And he explains, here's how this light comes. Here is how people are brought out of darkness and into light. If anyone hears my words... And does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He goes on and, and explains that they will be judged by his word. And he says that the word that he brought is exactly the word that the Father has told him. If you look in verse 49, he says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. It's just a reminder that when we think of, of Jesus coming into the world, when we think of baby Jesus humbled there, lying in a manger, that he has come as part of an agreement between him and the Father, and I mean, we could say also in the Holy Spirit. When it says, he has sent me, the Father who sent me, 
this is getting at a, a, a concept that sometimes we call the covenant of redemption. The idea of that is that God in Himself, before you and I ever existed, before the world existed, before heaven existed, before the angels existed, before there ever was anything other than God, God in Himself knew exactly what He was going to do. And He knew that He was going to create us and allow us to fall into sin. And His plan all along was that God the Father would appoint those whom He would save that God the Son would come into the world by the sending of the Father to take on human flesh, to live righteously for us, to die perfectly in our place for our sins, to rise from the dead, to ascend into heaven, and then one day to come again, raise us from the dead, and rule eternally. That was in the plan, and that this would come about, that redemption that would be purchased by Jesus on the cross would be applied to us by the Holy Spirit who would come and take the message, the good news of the gospel, the word that Jesus preaches and that's still being preached today, and apply it to human hearts. This is the covenant of redemption, this idea within God that God is going to save sinners and how he's going to do it through Christ and applying it through the Holy Spirit. And part of what it speaks of here, part of the way that Jesus has redeemed us and that the Father and the Son agreed together that this redemption and forgiveness of sins would happen is that Jesus would come into the world as our great prophet. He's our prophet, priest, and king. What he's getting across here is that he's come to be our prophet. He's come to deliver the word of God. You notice the way that he, he states this in verse 49. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And at the end of verse 50, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Do you know what that is? That, that's the definition of a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks the words that God gives them. That was something that you see beginning with Moses, as the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. Now, of course, there was, uh, he was the, the first and greatest prophet who began delivering us the written word of God. God also calls Abel a prophet. Jesus speaks of the blood of the prophets from Abel to Zechariah. And so there were these times when God was, was working through these men that he delivered his word to, and at times women as well, prophetesses like Anna. And he was giving across his word, but all of this was pointing ultimately to the great prophet whose name is Jesus. It says in Deuteronomy 18, as, as God is speaking to Moses, the great prophet, God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. He says, this great prophet is coming, and the New Testament tells us really clearly that it's Jesus that that was about. Of course, there were other prophets throughout the Old Testament who, in a sense, had something to do with that. Elijah is somebody that we talked about in Sunday school today who was a great prophet, sort of like Moses, who eventually appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and with Moses. But Jesus is the prophet of all prophets. Every time you see a prophet in the Bible, you should think to yourself, we need a better prophet than that one. His name is 
Jesus. You see this in Jesus' teaching as he stood up and as he taught places like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that, that he stood with authority in the word that he was delivering. He, he could say to them, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. Sometimes even quoting the words of the Ten Commandments, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. Not setting aside the Ten Commandments, telling them what it meant all along that they had lost along the way. Sometimes saying, you have heard that it was said, and then quoting the traditions that had come up that were not in the Bible, and then changing and correcting and showing, yes, this is the tradition that you have passed down from father to son for the last 20 generations, but it's wrong and it's not in the Scripture, and I say unto you. He taught them with authority. At the end of of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He is the great prophet who is the Son of God delivering the word of the Father. He is God speaking. What it says in Hebrews 1.1 is long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world." He is the great prophet. So he's come to deliver the words that the Father has told him. He's come to deliver words that save if they are kept. It says in in verses 46 and 47, it says, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Of course, he's going to clarify starting in verse 47 that that light is coming mainly through his word. But he's saying, believe in me. Believe in the message that I am sending. Believe in the words that I'm giving. Believe in the gospel of the kingdom that I am delivering to you. Put your faith in me as the Savior that I'm proclaiming myself to be, and you will have eternal life. You will no longer remain in darkness. You'll come to life. In verse 50, he clarifies and he says, and I know that his commandment, he's talking about the words that the Father has given him to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Jesus is speaking here about giving eternal life in the preaching of his word to be received and believed as we believe upon him. We can keep his word and be saved. You, you may wonder in verse 50, what is the commandment? This commandment is eternal life. There's a lot of people who want a commandment that will be eternal life for them. They they think, I mean, usually kind of the default position of people is to think the commandment that will give me eternal life is to be a good person. You ought to be good enough. You ought to have more good than bad so that your good would outweigh your bad. Well, that's, that's just kind of the, the natural sinful tendency of the human heart, knowing that we are sinners and, and thinking, well, may, maybe I can obey enough commandments to outweigh my sin. Well, that's not possible. But there is a commandment that God has given that gives eternal life, and it's expressed like this in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, where this crowd around Jesus said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Essentially what they're asking is, What's the commandment we need to keep to be right with God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, 
that you believe in him whom he has sent. He's saying, believe in me. Believe this message that I am the way and the truth and the life, and you will have eternal life. It says in John chapter 20 that the whole reason why this gospel of John was written and why these particular stories and sayings of Jesus were chosen to be put in here, it says these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus came to deliver that message. Jesus came to deliver the message that he is the light of the world, to be believed upon for the forgiveness of our sins, and that commandment is eternal life, according to John 12, 50. In Mark 9, 13, there's some more information about Jesus coming, more of these I have come statements. Why did what we call Christmas, why did this happen? Why did Jesus come into the world? He says in Matthew 9, 13, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Or in Mark 2, 17, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came, you hear that? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is part of what we, we're, we're trying to put together, what I'm trying to put together for you right now, is these statements. Why has Jesus come? And he says, I came to call. That's a preaching, prophetic ministry. I came to use my words to call not the righteous, but sinners. He came to be the prophet that would call sinners to himself so that we could be saved by believing in his name. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. He doesn't mean that there are righteous people out there who are already good and don't need Jesus. He means that if you're the kind of person who is deathly sick and refuses to believe it and won't go to the doctor, that you're still going to die. If you are deathly sick with your sin and refuse to believe it and call yourself righteous and refuse to go to Dr. Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you will die in those sins. Jesus came, though, to call sinners and to call us to see that we are sinners and to bring the prophetic ministry that says that we are in the darkness and that we need to come into the light of Christ and believe and be saved. They're words that will save if kept. They're words that will judge if rejected. It's interesting, it's kind of tricky, where Jesus says in verse 47, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But then in the next verse, there's a lot of judgment. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Okay, well, who is the judge? He says the judge is the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You see what Jesus is getting across. Jesus came the first time to deliver the message that gives life and to accomplish our salvation, as we're going to talk about on Christmas Eve, to be the atonement for our sins as our great high priest. He came to do this. And on that last day, that last day when we meet God, the standard that we will be judged by is the word delivered by the great prophet Jesus the gospel that he has preached. He came and he brought it, and it brings life now. And he says in the last day, it will bring judgment. It it says in Romans 2.16, something very similar, that there is that day coming on that day when according to my gospel, 
God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You see, see what Jesus has done? He's come to offer life, to give life and salvation. Receive Him. Believe in Him. Turn to Him. Don't wait until that great day of judgment because you get this message across in your head right now. Oh, Jesus didn't come to judge, so I'll be okay. It says that He came to bring the message of life and that if you do not receive it, that message of life will be a message of damnation to you on the last day for rejecting Him. Don't do that. Don't do that. Come to Jesus. He's offering you life. Come to Him and believe. Jesus was born to preach. Now this passage that is our main passage, I haven't really done a very good job of expositing it because that's not exactly my goal today. I'm, I'm doing three non-expository sermons in a row. Can you believe that? I know, it feels weird. It feels a little weird, but I wanted to still have a main passage, and this is our main passage because it says one of these things, I have come, and for this reason. But I want to take you to some other things where Jesus speaks about this as well, why, why he came, why he was born, and he was born to preach. John 18.37 says this. This is while, while Jesus is on trial, while he's about to be sent to the cross by Pontius Pilate, who thinks that he's not guilty because he did a little hand-washing thing. Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now Jesus said pretty straightforwardly that yes, he is the king. We'll talk about that a week from today, that Jesus came to reign as our king. But he also says right there, here is the purpose. Here is the purpose for which I was born. Here is the purpose I have come into the world. What is it? To bear witness to the truth. Another way to put that is Jesus could say, I was born to preach. And there he is preaching even in his trial before Pilate, who's about to tell him, you're going to die. He's preaching, he's bearing witness to the truth. Jesus demonstrated that in his, his life, in his ministry. I should say his earthly life, his earthly ministry, because he's still alive and he's still ministering right now, even though he's no longer here with us on earth. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, showed that preaching was a priority, was a high priority, a greater priority than other things that we usually think of Jesus as doing. Obviously, Jesus did a lot of miracles. He fed the 5,000. He healed the sick. He, he cured blindness. He cast out demons. He calmed the storm on the sea. He, he did all kinds of things like that. But you know what he says is, is what's motivating him in all of this, is his preaching. One place to see that is in Luke chapter 4. As Jesus, early in his earthly ministry, goes, goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, as was his habit on the, first, or on the Sabbath day. And here's what he does. He opens up the book of Isaiah, 
to Isaiah 61, which Mike read for us at the beginning of this service. And he begins to read, and here's what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim. You hear that? To proclaim. That's preaching. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, some would read that and they would say, oh, Jesus is saying that he's come to give money to poor people and to open up jail cells where people are falsely imprisoned and to heal the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Well, do you know what Jesus says after he finishes this? He doesn't say, now I better go and do those things. Although he does do some of those things, but here's what he says. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You get what he's saying? He's saying, it says that I will come and proclaim these things, and it's being fulfilled in the fact that I have come to preach to you. The setting there is, is where Jesus is, he's been going around and he's been healing the sick. He's drawing all kinds of crowds. You can just imagine what kind of crowds even come out today when somebody claims to be a faith healer. But Jesus actually was healing people and all these crowds were coming. He came to his hometown and, and they wanted to see the same kind of magic tricks there. And he says, I am fulfilling what was prophesied about me in preaching to you. I am proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. I am proclaiming liberty to the captives. You know what is needed more than actually getting out of a jail cell? We need to be set free from slavery to our sins. Do you know what is needed even more than finances in, in the middle of poverty? We need to know that we are spiritually bankrupt, the poor in spirit, and come to God in Christ and be filled up in Christ. Jesus was not unconcerned with those immediate needs and those physical needs, but all of them, even when he went and met them, was for the purpose of preaching. It was for the purpose of preaching the gospel. He met physical needs often, but it was the preaching of spiritual truths that fulfilled what was said about him in Isaiah 61. Later on in that chapter, it says the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. This is a different people than the ones who tried to throw him off the cliff. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Do you hear that? That's a Christmas passage. I was sent. I came into the world. Here is why I was sent, for the purpose of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And so it says he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He claims that he was born to preach, and so he did. It says in Mark one thirty-eight, Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. I want to go preach. It's amazing 
that as Jesus was going around and doing all of those things for people, that he later announced about some of the, the, the very towns and some of the very people where he had done his great miracles, that it was going to be better on the day of judgment for Sodom than for them. And do you know why he said that? He says it because they did not repent. When Jesus came and healed the lame and gave sight to the blind and fed the 5,000 and all of these acts of mercy and compassion, he says it was for the purpose to call sinners to repentance. And where that doesn't happen, all the rest of it is just temporary. And there remains a judgment on the last day where we will be judged by the words that he has spoken. Come to Jesus. Don't trust in the fact that Jesus has done something amazing for you. Trust in Jesus himself and in the gospel that he preached, these words of salvation and light. I do want to ask you too, have you, I don't know if you've ever considered this, what if Jesus had done all of the same things that he did in his ministry except with no preaching? Have you heard that statement before? Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. That's a nice way of saying be quiet, Christians. Just do nice things. What if Jesus had been quiet and just done nice things? They would have all been temporary. And we'd all be doomed. We would have no idea why he'd come. We would have no idea why he had healed anybody. He probably wouldn't have even gone to the cross to save us from our sins if he'd kept his mouth shut. But even if he had, we wouldn't have any idea why. Jesus came and he preached this life-giving word of the gospel. That's what gave the power to his ministry, is the word that the Father had delivered him to speak. There is a priority of preaching in his ministry then, and there needs to be a priority of preaching in Christian ministry now. You know why I say that? It's because the Bible says that. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Do you ever feel to yourself, well, if I tell somebody the gospel, it's going to seem kind of foolish. I might seem like I'm not as sophisticated as them. I might seem like I'm, I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm just being awkward or something like that. It might, might seem like folly. Well, it says right here, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. That's how God saves people. It's how God saves people, whether it's from a pulpit or whether it's around your Christmas dinner table. For you to open up your, your mouth and preach the message that we are sinners, that God is the one that we're accountable to, but that God is also the one who's made the way of salvation in his son, Jesus Christ, and that we can receive that salvation, not by the works that we do, but by faith in him alone. That's the message right there, and it seems like like foolishness. It says, for the Greeks demand, or the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hmm. 
Wow, the foolishness of preaching. Occasionally, sometimes people would say, well, we we don't really need preaching because we have the Bible. I guess in some sense, you could even throw that at Jesus. Why did he need to preach? Because they already had the Scriptures, right? They have Moses and the prophets, even as Jesus himself said. So why did he need to stand up and say anything? Well, God uses it. God uses it. There, there is a power, even when you've got somebody sitting in front of you, maybe you're having a one-on-one conversation with somebody and you need to preach to them. That's called biblical counseling. That's what that is. A helpful conversation where you're bringing up the Word of God to somebody. But you know what? Maybe that person has read the passage of Scripture that you're about to read them a hundred times, but they need you to say it to them. They need another human being to say, guess what? This scripture is about you. This scripture applies to you. You need to let this scripture sink down into your heart and be changed by it. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He had already told him, read the word publicly, but he tells him, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Boy, that happens all the time. Happens all the time. Sometimes our own hearts want to wander off into myths, don't want to stay on the truth. We need preaching. We need to do it. We need to sit under it. We need to receive it. We need to realize Jesus came to preach. He prioritized preaching, and he delivered it to his disciples to do, to take the very word that the Father had given him and that he had delivered, and then to deliver it to us and to continue to preach And the great thing is, the amazing thing is, the ministry of Jesus continues in this world primarily through preaching today. I'm not going to say that it doesn't continue in any other way. Every time you serve another person in the name of the Lord and for the glory of God, you are doing the ministry of Jesus. But it is primarily through the ongoing preaching of the word that Christ has delivered to us applied to human hearts by the Spirit of Christ, who's also called the Holy Spirit. That is the ongoing, life-changing work of Jesus in this world today. And that's why Paul told Timothy, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Here's the good news. Here's how people are going to be saved. It's through that message being preached, the same message that Jesus preached. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, a great news, all who call, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's amazing. That's amazing. But then it goes on and it tells us that's not going to happen unless we preach Jesus to them. He says, how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Get this, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We know that. We who know Christ, we know how God builds us up through the word of God being presented to us just for somebody to say, this applies to you. That's how he saved us, and that's how he grows us, and that's how he commissions us to go and do everything else he has for us to do. And this is the reason why Jesus has come into the world, to be a light and to preach and to deliver these words as our great prophet. So listen to him and believe that word and have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Jesus has come. I thank you that he's come as our prophet, priest, and king. And in particular today, I thank you that he has come to be our prophet. Uh, Lord, I thank you that he leads us by his word and spirit into the will of God for our salvation. Lord, I pray that the word of Christ, the gospel, would save souls, maybe even right now, as, as you would call people out of darkness into light to believe in him. And God, I pray that you would put this word in our mouths to, to be deliverers of your word, preachers, whether from a pulpit or around a dinner table. And God, I pray that, uh, Lord, that your word as it goes out would not return void. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just help us to be those who deliver the good news with beautiful feet. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.